praise the Lord. It's great to be back here in the house of God. My message today is, and the earth was filled with violence. My text is Genesis chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. Uh, it says, the earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Watch this. It was filled with violence. So God looked down upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. What we are seeing today in society is a degree of violence, the likes of which we have never witnessed before. And this escalation of violence is in our streets, it's in our schools, it's at our workplace, it's in the families, and for goodness sake, it's in our public transportation, and it's all over the social media, and people are fighting everywhere at the slightest provocation. And I'm appalled at the degree of senseless violence today we are watching. One of the things that Jesus told us in the last days is we're going to see an escalation of the spirit of murder and the spirit of anger that would be unleashed by Satan. My focal point today is the sixth commandment. It's just four words. You shall not murder. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13. Now at first glance, the sixth commandment appears to be the easiest of the ten commandments to keep. Most of us have probably never killed anyone before. And my guess is that most of you have no intentions of killing anyone in the future. Amen? Amen. My, my guess is also probably there are not more than, more than five assassins in Cornerstone. Amen. So why waste time on this subject? Well, let me just give you some revealing statistics on this matter. By the time the American child hits 10, they would have witnessed 8,000 acts of violence on television. But by the time they hit 18, they would have witnessed 200,000 acts of violence. And believe me, what you see with your eyes will manifest in your life. Is there any wonder that violent crime is at an all-time high? Even here in Singapore, every 22 minutes, someone is stabbed, shot, beaten to death. In fact, globally, young children are now more susceptible to die from violence than uh, they are from illness or sickness. Let's face it, we live in a very violent society. The first sin in the Bible resulted in man being alienated from God through one act of disobedience. Our fellowship with God was fractured and it was severed. But the second sin was the sin of fratricide when Cain murdered his own brother. When that happened, the spirit of murder entered into our bloodstream and rampant killing has now reached epidemic proportions. It is interesting that when God pronounced His judgment on Cain, which was a lifelong exile and a lifelong curse as well, Cain appealed to God that he said, surely I would be murdered because of what I've done. That's an interesting argument for someone who just killed his brother. But suddenly he sees it. What does he see? He sees that human life is sacred and that it had great value and that it was not his to take. You would have thought that after God judged Cain that the killing would stop, that the people would learn. But shortly after that, we have a record of a descendant of Cain who killed the man for hurting him and he said 77 deaths would not be enough to avenge my death, his death. By the time we come to Genesis chapter 6, the whole earth was covered with endemic violence now, if you ask an informed Christian, why is mankind so wicked? Where did all this begin? He would tell you it began in Genesis chapter 3 with the fall of Adam. That's where all the wickedness, that's where all the corruption set in. But if you will ask an educated and erudite Jewish man living in the second temple period, the same question, his answer would be very different. He will tell you it, it all began in Genesis chapter 6. 
Yes, it is true that in Genesis chapter 3, it records to us the entrance of sin into this world. But in Genesis chapter 6, the watchers, which is a group of angels, were blamed for the, the rapid proliferation of evil on the earth because they crossed the line, sexu uh, line and sexually intermingled with the daughters of men to produce a hybrid race called the Nephilim. And one of the reasons why God had to shorten the lifespan of human beings was to curb His bloodthirstiness because human violence has escalated beyond imagination. Nine generations after Adam, it says in Genesis 6, the earth was corrupt before God and the earth was filled, filled with violence. The culture of violence had become universal. Murder was in the heart of every human being with the exception of one man, a righteous man called Noah. Humanity had lost its value of life it, and it allowed to continue. It would annihilate life as we know it. So God had to destroy the world in a flood, press the reset button, preserve Noah and give humanity a second chance. I tell you this leniency was not a matter of fairness. It was crucial for the survival of the human race. Now you would have think that after the flood, mankind would have learned the lesson. But not long after the flood in Genesis chapter 11, the human race conceived a new kind of violence. It was called tyranny. The man called Nimrod, a mighty diabolical man, built the Tower of Babel with one purpose, to subjugate all the nations of the earth. And that is not God's will. God loves diversity. He loves the multiformity of the human race. And our future will be a great multitude, comprised people of every tongue, and every ethnicity, and every tribe, and every race, and color, and uh, before the throne, and before the Lamb. Someone say amen to that. Could it be that God confused the languages to safeguard the diversity? and the development of cultures in the nation's variance is an important part of what God loves in humanity. The conclusion of the pre, of this, in this preamble is Genesis chapter 6 and verse 6. It says that the Lord was sorry He made man on the earth. He was grieved in His heart. He was not sorry when He made the animals. He was not sorry when He made the fish in the sea and the birds in the air and the trees in the field. But He was sorry that He made you and I. And all I can say is, wow, we're truly an unworthy species. We come back to the sixth commandment, thou shall not murder. When we look at this verse, it seems very straightforward, but I tell you it's been <laughs> mutilated and it's been misinterpreted. What I'd like to do today is first examine what this verse is not saying, what this verse does not mean, and then tell you what it means. So what does the sixth commandment not say? Number one, it does not prohibit the killing of animals. The Bible is very clear that there's a difference between human life and animal life. Humans have a soul. I don't believe that animals do. If you disagree with me, that's your problem. I'm right. I know I'm right. <laughs> they have instinct. Many times in the Bible, God commanded animals to be sacrificed without the shedding of blood. There is no remission of sins. One of the things that we need to know is God will never contradict Himself. He will not say one thing here in the Scripture and say another thing else in another portion of Scripture. In Genesis chapter 9 and verse 3, He says, Every 
moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And I've given all things to you, even as the green herbs. And Paul affirms this again and again. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, whatever you eat, sanctify it by prayer and thanksgiving and enjoy. Hallelujah. So after church out today, you can go out and have a nice piece of steak and not worry about it. You can just put on a few extra calories. You don't have to be a vegetarian. You don't have to be a vegan if you don't want to. It's okay to eat meat. Somebody asked me, Pastor, can I eat pork and go to heaven? You eat pork and you will get there faster. Hallelujah. <laughs> I was in Japan recently. I heard this story. A man goes into a fast food restaurant in Japan and he orders, he turns his head and he says, oh my goodness. He says, is that Jesus? Is this that Jesus sitting in the restaurant? He asked the man, is that Jesus? He says, oh yeah, that's Jesus. He comes every Tuesday to drink soup. He says, why? He says, because he loves me so. In the New Testament, Peter was in a trance and he was told that what God had cleansed, we must not call unclean. But you've also got to remember that Israel was a agrarian culture and they had animals that did their work for them. So God expected them to treat the animals well. So Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 10 says, a righteous man regards the life of his animals. So if you have pets, you are supposed to treat them well. The only problem is sometimes we are kinder to our pets than we are to people. And people will protest and, and fight to save a stranded whale. But they wouldn't think twice in killing an unborn fetus. That's very wrong. Well, very wrong. It does not, number two, it does not prohibit capital punishment. I know Singapore is under a lot of flag for that. But I think we have the right, we made the right choice and decision. Did you know that God Himself commanded capital punishment? In fact, the penalty for the first to the seven commandments in the Bible was the death penalty. Who oh, I'm glad we're not living in the Old Testament. Leviticus 24 and verse 17 says, whoever kills any man shall surely be put to death. The principle here is very simple. A life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Now, if we live in a society where it's all justice without any mercy, then an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth will leave everyone blind and toothless. Justice must be tempered with mercy. Justice is one side of the coin. Mercy is the other. You need both. And I heard, I, I, this has to be verified. I heard that they bring the judges on the bench to the prisons to witness the caning process because it's quite brutal and it's quite horrifying. So that when they're on the bench and dispensing justice, they will remember the whole process and how the prisoners had to suffer and endure those painful whips. And I tell you, it tempers them so that when they are giving their judgment, they are not trigger happy. And that they would temper their judgment with mercy. Hallelujah. Now to maintain order in society, God has delegated this capital punishment and authority to the government. Do you know that the Bible in Romans 13 calls government civil servants ministers? I'm a minister in the house of God, but they are ministers in the public sphere. In the Old Testament, capital punishment was carried out almost immediately, interestingly. Now God does not prohibit capital punishment. Some of people might say, you know, pastor, I don't think capital punishment really deters criminals. Let me tell you, it does the one executed. I can guarantee you that guy is not going to rape or kill anyone anymore. Amen. Number three, it does not prohibit war. 
Look at the Bible verse again. It says, thou shall not murder. It does not say thou shall not kill. And killing and murder are two very different things. And this is not just semantics. What's involved in murder is premeditation. In, in, what's involved in murder is motive. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 8, Solomon says, there is a time for war and there is a time for peace. All through the scripture, we find God commanding Israel to battle enemies. Why? Because there is something in life that is just worth fighting for. It's, it's right to protect and fight for, your, for innocent people. It is right to fight and protect your family. If somebody charges me with a knife, I tell you this, I'm going to take my wife and put her right in front of me. You know, my wife tells me too, she says, you know, you got two main major faults. I said, what is it? He said, number one, you don't listen. And number two, I can't remember the next one. <laughs> you know, in the American Civil War in the 1800s, the bloodiest war America has ever fought, 620,000 soldiers died to put an end to the tyranny of slavery. It was a terrible war, it was a bloody war, but it was a just war. And I believe the war on terror is, a, is also a just war. When you know what they have done to people that were tortured and killed and raped and treated in unspeakable, inhumane ways, especially the Christians. All that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. So what does God mean when He says, you shall not murder? I'm going to show you what our Lord Jesus interpreted this verse in Matthew chapter 5 and verses 21, 22. He says, You have heard that it was said of all, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, which means idiot, by the way, shall be in danger of the council, and whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. What Jesus is saying here is there is more than one way to murder a person. Most of us here were too far too civilized to participate in any form of physical murder. But we wouldn't think twice in wishing somebody dead. And Jesus said, there's no difference in that. It's the same thing as murder. You can call your brother Raka, which means idiot, or a fool, and you can be in danger of hellfire because as far as God is concerned, there is very little difference between a blood-stained knife and malicious gossip. Boy, because they come from the same source, an evil heart. Malice, anger, hatred, resentment, terrible things, my friends. And they've caused many Christians to lose their inheritance and in some cases, even eternal life. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 15 says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. I don't know how else to say this. If you hate your brother, then you are not even a Christian. You don't even understand basic Christian. The first thing you learn as a Christian is forgiveness. As you have been forgiven, so forgive those who have sinned against you. And if you cannot forgive your brother, I don't know what kind of Christianity you're living. You know that no murderer, John says, has any eternal life abiding in him. What a statement. All you have to do to end up in hell fire is to hate your brother. Unholy anger, hatred, name calling puts you in danger of hell fire as, as surely as you have taken a gun and murdered the person. You know a man wrote to me a few weeks ago, not a member of our church, but he said to me, Pastor, I'm going to divorce my wife, but I'm not just going to divorce her. I 
I'm going to destroy her. I'm going to destroy her family. I'm going to destroy her, her siblings. I'm going to destroy all of them. I wrote back to him and I says, I don't want to be you on the day of judgment. Surely. Because the measure in which you are judging your wife is going to be the exact same measure that God is going to judge you. Come on, my friends. Learn to forgive one another. Amen. Husbands and wives, love one another. Husband, the Bible says, husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Come on. Feel that's a word for some of you here today. You know, a man prayed and said, God, I want a wife that will submit to me. And God answered his prayer. And God gave him a wife that submitted to him. And he said, all my life, she has submitted invoices and bills and all kinds of things. <laughs> Another man said, I never killed anyone before, but I read the obituary with awful lot of glee in my heart. Wow. You know, anger is a very toxic emotion. It's the only emotion we know today that is directly related to cardiovascular risk and heart problems. Why? Because it's like driving a car. You're stepping on the accelerator and the brakes at the same time. Uh, one part of you want to walk away and the other part wants to, you know, to stay and fight. My advice to you, walk away all the time. It's not worth it. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Somebody pushes you, walk away. Turn the other cheek, my friends. Don't let anger ramp up the psychological strain that's already in your heart. And you can imagine if you're angry all the time, what it does to your physio physiolo physiology. <laughs> the Bible says, also says in certain circumstances, to be angry but do not sin, yes? I tell you, anger really was created by God to protect the innocent. When we see the innocent blood being spilled and abortions being done and the poor being oppressed, we are supposed to get angry. And this anger is to provoke us to get out of our comfort zone and do something about it, man. Some of you have been sitting down here in the church for many years listening to sermons and all you do is get fat. F-A-T. Now having said that, how does this commandment apply to us today? God says four things. No to four things. Number one, God says no to suicide. My, I tell you this, my friends, we've got to pray against the spirit of suicide. It's targeting our young people. 800,000 people die every year of suicide and many more attempt unsuccessfully to commit suicide. It's interesting that, did you know in Asia, South Korea is the number one country for suicide. And I think it has to do with the whole shame culture that's very predominant in our oriental circles, but also with somehow with the way they look. The beauty thing in, in South Korea is so big and if you're not pretty, if you're not handsome enough, I'm, I praise God, I'm not, don't fall in that category. But <laughs> All I'm saying is that if we don't start praying against the Spirit, the numbers will skyrocket. The devil is after the next generation. It used to be old people committing suicide. Nowadays, it's young people. And suicide is more than just a word, it's a statement, it's a statement that many thousands of young people are making every year and they're saying, I reject this world, I reject my family, I reject my friends, and I reject life. And some of you will say, well, pastor, it's my life and I have every right to take it. No, sir, it's not your right life. God gave you your life and only God can take it away. You don't own your life and you surely don't own the right to take it. Romans 14, 7 says, none of us live to himself and none of us die to himself. You know, before you were born, God did predetermine the exact number of days that you were going to live. Some of us were granted slightly longer life span, some others a shorter life span, but it's been predetermined. People do die prematurely, we know that. 
Because not everything happens that happens is the will of God. That's why Jesus told us to pray, Thy will be done. Why? Because sometimes His will is not done. Jesus also commanded us to raise the dead. Remember? Why? Because there's sometimes people who don't die in the will of God and we are called to raise them from the dead. Now God alone determines how long a person's life would be and that's why the psalmist says in Psalm 90, teach us to number our days. Having said that, number, uh, the, the, the Lord can also extend the number of days in your life. Do you know that the, one of the greatest promises is given to the people who fear God? And one of the blessings of the fear of the Lord, the Lord says, I will prolong your days. I will add number to your days. And the Bible also says that honor your father and mother that your days may be long. The first commandment with blessing. My mother this year is going to be 90 and my mother-in-law, Daphne's mom, is 101 years of age. And I tell you this, long life is a blessing from God. Amen. And I pray that God is going to give me long life. I pray that God will stretch my number because the more days I have, the more I can accumulate for heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. Premature death can also happen. Just as God can lengthen your days, your days can also be shortened. For several reasons. Number one, God's judgment. Just listen to this list of names. Hophni and Phineas, Nadab and Abihu, Ananias and Sapphira. They were all examples of God's judgment. Their lives were cut short because of sin against God. And all of a sudden, man, it was gone. Number two, Satan can also cause premature death. He comes to steal, kill and destroy. Don't you ever forget that. I don't believe that Satan can touch you if you're walking right in the right relationship with God. But if you sin, you can expose yourself, you and your family to the enemy. Satan also has power over those who are not under God's protection, especially those who are given to following evil. I tell you this, a lot of the Hollywood type people, you know, famous people, they live terrible lives. You look at them and you, oh, you, you swoon over these Hollywood stars. I wish I could be like this. I wish I, listen, you don't want to be like them. They live horrible lives and they take, and, and their lives take a toll on them. And many of them die very young and many of them die terrible deaths because they give themselves to Satan. And after Satan is done with them, he just disposes of them. Third group of people is ourselves. It's when we take it upon ourselves to end our own lives, to short circuit God's plans. When we commit suicide, what we're actually doing is challenging, challenging the wisdom of God. And if you're here today and you've ever considered suicide as an alternative, let me tell you, that's not the way out. God has a plan for your life, amen. No matter what, suicide is never the way out. There is hope in God. If you're breathing still, there is hope, amen. And number four, of course, there's natural circumstances. People do die early in their lives because of circumstances, sometimes war. We don't understand everything that happens. Sometimes bad things do happen to good people. And we have no explanation for these things. We just trust the goodness of God. Number two, God says no to abortion. You read Psalm 139 and David is describing himself in his mother's womb. And he uses words like I, we, my. And it's interesting that he said, you created me. You knew I was there. You saw me. You loved me. All of that simply to say that there is a person on the inside of the womb. There is a human being inside the womb. The baby is not a blob of tissue. From a human point of view, you may have an unplanned pregnancy. But from God's point of view, there are no accidental conceptions. Woo! A mother might say, I did not plan to have you. God did. Amen. Some of you here suffer the shame of that. You know what I mean. 
Maybe your parents have said to you, you know, I, would, I never planned to have you. I'm, I'm sorry God did, hallelujah. And you're here in the presence of God today. You're not a mistake. God formed you and made you in His image and He had a purpose for your life. Amen. Now, if all our days are numbered before I was born, then it is true that abortion is the ultimate short-circuiting of God's will. 27% of all pregnancies in Singapore end in abortion. That's one in every four. It's a large number, my friends. One of the greatest victories last year was Roe v. Wade. It was overturned in the Supreme Court in the United States well over. But did you know that since Roe v. Wade, over 50 million babies have been aborted through abortion as a result. And that's more than all the wars they have ever fought combined together. Come on. It's interesting that the Bible equates certain sins with the occult. For instance, rebellion is the same as witchcraft. Covetousness is the same as idolatry. Hatred is the same as murder. But abortion is the same as child sacrifice. And nothing exemplifies child sacrifice more than Moloch, the god of the Ammonites. And if you read Amos chapter 1 and verse 13, they were ripping apart pregnant women in Gilead to enlarge their territory. And it's a metaphor that does not just refer to land, it also refers to the extent beyond which is the acceptable boundaries of human conduct and behaviour. We should never cross those boundaries. Abortion has its roots in the occult. Number three, God says no to willful acts of violence. Boy, you can't watch anything on social media today without some clip popping up of some senseless and gratuitous violence. You know, it's crazy. People are fighting everywhere. They're fighting without any provocation. And they are recording it. And they are posting it on social media. I have a Twitter account. And a large percent of the, the reason I'm too on Twitter because I think some of the smartest people are on Twitter. I, I, I don't want to do Facebook anymore because all the old people do Facebook. I, and Instagram is for the young kids. And TikTok is for the crazies. <laughs> but I tell you, a lot of TV programs and our movies today promote gratuitous violence. Violence is not just entertain, it's not just entertainment. You know, in the olden days, we used to go to the arena, to the Coliseum, to see two men. Uh, gladiators fight and kill themselves. Now we just turn on the TV. On all the while, God is pointing to the sixth commandment and says, don't you understand? I have a better plan for you. I don't want men driving around with baseball bats in their cars. I don't want women walking around with mace or with a flick knife in their bags. I don't want you to have triple locks on the front door of your house. People shouldn't have to live that way, my friends. As God's people, we must be humblers as doves and we've got to learn to turn the other cheek. Never retaliate in violence. At the end of this service, you're going to go down in the car park and it's a 15-minute wait to get out of the car park. But it's going to be a 30-minute wait when some silly guy in the front has no cash card. And then you feel this anger rising on the inside. You better listen to the sermon today. Hallelujah. One time I was in a queue in a, in, a, in a car park and the guy in front, it was a 20 minute wait, man. 
and the guy in front was fidgeting. He, he lost his cash card. What do you do? So uh, being a kind soul that I am, I went up to him and said, Sir, is there a problem? He said, I don't have my cash card. It's lost. So I gave him my cash card. $20. Oh, I could feel the anger rising on the inside of me. <laughs> Paid his thing. He went happily. I went back, then my turn came, and then I put my cash card, and it didn't register because once you registered once, you can't register twice. Now I've got 20 cars behind all angry at me. <laughs> Many years ago, there was a lady in our church. <clears throat> she was engaged to marry to this man. The guy's a class A jerk. Very violent, aggressive man. I backed her, I said, please don't marry him. Please don't marry him. He heard what I said to his wife, uh, his wife to be. He came to my, stormed into my, I literally pushed the door open, stormed him off. He raised his hands to hit me. I closed my eyes and I said, incoming. <laughs> he was going to hit the daylights out of me. He was a big guy. You know? He was, and uh, his fist was just a few inches over my face. And I, and he's like, you know, and he says, don't you ever interfere in my business again. And he stormed out of my room. And I stood up, closed the door and listened to what I said. I stood up and I said to God, I said, Lord, I want you to hear what I'm going to say to you. I forgive him in Jesus' name. I want you to forgive him. And I do not hold this against him on the day of judgment. I prayed that prayer. I felt the immediate release. Five minutes later, he comes crying. He said, I shouldn't have done that, Pastor. I said, I forgive you in Jesus' name. He said, and he, and, um, and uh, I said, I forgive you. And uh, he said, my, my girlfriend said that if I didn't apologize to you, she wouldn't marry me. <laughs> so anyway, he walks out and I met the girl. I said, please, I beg you, don't marry him. You know what she said to me? She said, Pastor, I already made my wedding gown. I said, wedding gown, $1,000, you know, you can lose it. You marry this jerk, the rest of your life, you're going to suffer. And she married him and within a period of a few months, divorced the world. I am an aggressive man. Ladies, you be careful, man. You be careful who you marry, amen? There was a man, make sure, if you, make sure you get your bow ass, hallelujah. Your bow ass, or else you will find someone who will beat your ass, you know? <laughs> you don't want, bow ass has got some cousins that good for nothing ass and that lazy ass. And there are some people, let me just speak honestly, who just want your ass? And I just want to say something about MMA and karate and all these acts of violence. You be careful if you are, if you are in MMA and all these things. I want you to stop, please. Here, listen to your pastor. Stop. Because something in there that precipitates violence in a person, like nothing else I've ever seen. You say, but pastor is exercise. Go for a jog. Go to the gym. Do something else. But you don't have to be in a, a room with all these men filled with testosterone wanting to show how manly they are. Amen. <laughs> Finally, God says to no to genocide. The term genocide comes from two Greek words, genos, which means race, and the Latin word side, which means killing. Satan has on several occasions tried to exterminate God's people almost successfully during the Holocaust. Six million Jews were killed, innocent blood. Of course, in the days of Esther, he tried to wipe out God's people 
except for the fact that God intervened in that situation. In the days of Moses, he tried to kill all the babies under two to kill the deliverer. And in the days of Jesus, he tried to kill all the babies under two in the town of Bethlehem to try and murder the promised seed. I tell you, the devil is a murderer from the beginning. Don't you ever forget that. And he attempted it again, again and again, and he will attempt it again in the last days. I close by giving you an interesting fact. Did you know that the Bible was written by three men who were killers or murderers? The first was Moses. He wrote the first five books of the Bible, gave us the law, constructed the tabernacle, led Israel in the wilderness, and he was called the friend of God. And he killed an Egyptian in cold blood because that Egyptian was ill-treating a Jewish slave. Killed him in cold blood. The second was David. And David did not kill Uriah. He murdered Uriah. Murdered Uriah. Bathsheba's husband. And Paul was the third man. The man we love. Our hero. Apart from Jesus, there's no one like Paul. Here is a man who wrote most of the New Testament. And he personally was responsible for the murder. The murder of Stephen. Our first martyr. And many other Christians. He put them in prison. Tortured them to death. Paul the beloved apostle. Yet these men humbled themselves before God, came to him and were forgiven. And God used them in a very great way, the three greatest men. And that's the great message of grace. It doesn't matter what your past is, it matters where you are headed towards. Amen. I want to close by taking a few moments to pray against the spirit of suicide. It's happening right here in Singapore right now. There must be no suicides in Cornerstone. Amen. We must pray against the spirit of anger and hatred that's in your heart. Some of you here, you're very, I guess, I guess angry with your spouse. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to forgive you. Now, this is a word for some of you. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. That's Paul's exhortation to you. Amen. Let's all stand in the presence of God. Just very quickly, I'm going to just pray and close this time. Come on, everybody, lift up your hands. We are going to pray against the spirit of murder and suicide that is in our society, especially the spirit of suicide that is seeking to kill a young generation. I believe with all my heart that the devil sees the potential of our children and our children's children. Amen. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I speak the bloodline over this community. I rebuke every spirit of suicide. I say to you, the spirit of suicide and murder, keep your hands off our people in Jesus' name. I speak the blood of Jesus over this house and I pray Lord that you will pour your church with them. I pray uh, Lord that there'll be no cancer, no divorce, no, uh, no uh, premature deaths, no suicides, no abortions, no miscarriages. Hallelujah. And Lord in Jesus name that you will cover this house. That there will be no divorce. Lord in Jesus name watch over Cornerstone. Watch over Cornerstone and put a hedge of protection over your people in Jesus name. I pray for our children and our children's children Lord and Lord, have mercy even on our extended families, Lord. That, that because they are connected with us, Lord, they are also under your protection in Jesus' name. Father, I also want to pray for anger in our hearts, Lord. There are people here in this room today that need to release, you know, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and wishing bad on your family and wishing bad on the other person. I tell you, it doesn't work that way. If you learn to forgive, God will heal you of the bitterness, hallelujah, and you will set the person free in Jesus' name, hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Father, I thank you that there is deliverance today in this house, Lord. That if we will learn to forgive, we will be forgiven our sins. Come on, my brothers and sisters. Christianity, basic Christianity is forgiveness. Hallelujah. Lord, that we will forgive, forgive, forgive one another in Jesus' name. Lord, when we leave this place, let us learn to be harmless as doves. Let us always turn the other cheek, Lord. When we are, when we are pushed, when we are provoked, we will always walk away, Lord. Walk away, Lord. Teach us to humble ourselves before you, Lord. And I pray that there'll be no violence in this house, Lord. There will come a time in the future, Lord, where the Christians will be persecuted, where Christians will be attacked, Lord, where we will be called names, Lord, and then our properties will be taken away from us. And Lord, yes, there might be a come a day, Lord, even here in this nation, where Christians will be attacked physically. But when that day comes, Lord, I know that you will give us grace, Lord, to bear whatever the troubles may be, Lord, in Jesus' name. So I pray for this house, Lord, that you would bless this house with every spiritual blessing. I, I pray the prayer that God told Aaron to pray when he was praying for the congregation. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and lift up His countenance on you. The Lord grant you His peace and grace. And so may the Lord put His name upon you forevermore. And the blessing of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you now and forevermore. And everybody said, Amen. Let's give God a big praise. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.